You are listening to Intellectual Icebergs, March 16th, 2008, episode 15.1. Today's topic is memetics. For comments or questions, you can send email to comments at intellectualicebergs.org or visit our forums at www.intellectualicebergs.org. Here's your host, James Gunderson. This is Jim Gunderson, and we're going to be talking today about memes. Our guest is Rob Raplin. Hi there. So, Rob, I want to cut right to the middle of this. What exactly is memetics? I'd actually rather start with what is evolution. That's the type of thinking that actually spawned memetics. Okay, so if we have to talk about evolution, what is evolution? Evolution is the process by which multiple variations of something compete for a limited amount of resources, whether it's living space, food, whatever, and only the most fit, the best at competing for those resources actually get to produce the next cycle of entity. With animals, those who don't compete effectively die before they get to reproduce. All right, so how does memetics fall out of that? Memetics is the concept that this entire evolutionary algorithm also works with ideas. The ideas are competing for a limited amount of space in our brains. Obviously, we can only think of a number of things at any one time, and we're only likely to repeat a certain number of things in our lifespan. Ideas will compete for our processing time and for our attention and for the right to get passed on to the next set of people. So reproduction for a meme, then, is the transfer of the idea from one person to another? One person to another, whether it's your friends or your children or your congregation or your radio audience, it really doesn't matter. This sort of suggests that these memes have their own agenda, that they're like living creatures out there trying to achieve something. Well, that's actually one of the great misunderstandings about memetics, that they exist in some Jungian collective unconsciousness and battle it out for control over the brains in the world. This is really just a way of describing them. If you think about a box of cornflakes, you got a typical box of cornflakes, you shake it, all of those cornflakes are going to compete for the position on the bottom of the box. The more dense ones are gonna be able to push their way past, the smaller ones are gonna slip past without touching it, and you wind up with all that little dust on the bottom of the box and the bigger, flakier cornflakes at the top. And we all know how we hate to get that last bowl of cornflakes with all of the dust in it. But these words, pushing and sliding and competing and whatnot, they're just ways of allowing us to think about it. It's not like cornflakes are actually capable of actively participating in a competition to get to the bottom of the box. So they're not alive. They want to reproduce. They want to spread. What is this thing, this meme? A meme is a concept. It can be a tune. It can be a gesture. It can be words. It can be a philosophy. It's anything you can convey from one person to another, whether you're doing it consciously by telling a person or whether you're doing it subconsciously by the way you wear your clothes. Someone else sees the way you wear your clothes. They like that and they start wearing their clothes that way. You've just transmitted a meme. Memes tend to hang out in groups called meme plexes. For instance, the idea of having a crease 
on your white pants is two memes, the white pants meme and the crease meme, that happen to go well together and travel together and are self-supporting. Religions are an excellent example of huge meme plexes. A political platform is an example of an immense meme plex that the supporters of that meme, the ones who want to spread that meme, tend to encourage you to swallow all at once or not at all. Now, when you use the word religion in these contexts, are you talking formal religion or are you talking religion in the sense of an article of faith that an individual may carry? Really, anytime you hear me use the word religion, I don't mean Catholicism or Islam. I could be talking about the Emacs versus Vi argument. It's just any belief that a person has that doesn't have a scientific found. So how are our memes or how is the idea of a meme, the meme of a meme, useful? One of the things that's prevented memes from becoming adopted is the idea that it's just another way of thinking about ideas getting passed around. But that doesn't prevent it from being useful. If you can identify behaviors and figure out how those behaviors match the behaviors of other entities, then you can borrow concepts from those other environments in order to understand the behavior of these things. For instance, viruses. A virus is something that uses something else's power to replicate. A virus on a computer hijacks the processing cycle of the computer to replicate. A biological virus hijacks our cells to replicate. And memes hijack our minds to replicate. They don't generate their own energy and replicate on their own. They borrow our energy in order to do it. But they do it very successfully. Since memes are concepts that exist in a person's brain, then those concepts are ones that they've selected in order to be better people, right? Not necessarily. Memes are things that we've accepted sometimes in order to survive, sometimes because it makes our lives easier, sometimes because we actually think it improves our ability to function. But that isn't the only reason. For instance, the concept of being a slave. If I decide that I want you to be a slave and I beat you until you actually do my work for me, then this is a meme that you are accepting, not because it's good for you, but it prevents you from being beaten. Religions are often passed on the same way, where you will follow the memes of your parents simply to avoid being punished. Most enlightened religions will specifically say that that is the worst way to pass on the religion, that you should show them the benefits and pleasures of the religion instead of just making them believe it because that'll keep them out of the room. But often that is how memes get passed on. In a lot of cases, people will accept memes because everyone else in their society does, and they will, for instance, never get laid if they don't follow the memes of the rest of the people. And this is the kind of situation where you have a choice of accepting someone else's meme or not being able to interact with them. So because there's often a whole lot of pressure to accept memes, we also often accept memes that are not in our best interests. So are memes primarily oriented around the individual? Or the no, group? actually memes have no consideration for the individual whatsoever. It's no different than a predator that eats rabbits. They don't really care about what happens to the rabbit. They just want to continue existing. Or regular biological viruses or bacteria that go from human to human. They really don't care about the human. They just make use of the human's resources and then move on to the next victim. But it's not like we can just close off our acceptance of any new ideas. No, but that's why a proper mimetic firewall is so important. 
Obviously, we can't just close off all of our orifices and stop eating and breathing, but we do have to have a way of sorting out what comes in to determine the things that we need and the things that we don't need. I don't want to say that memes are all bad. Obviously, any meme that allows a guy to win the game or get the girl or whatever their goal is, is probably a good meme for that person. The difficult part is identifying which are the valuable memes and which are the ones that are going to do you harm. Well, so how do you tell the difference? Going back to the analogy, we can examine how our biological systems do it, how our computer systems do it, and come up with a set of rules for a mimetic firewall to prevent the harmful memes from attacking our system. So are you suggesting the equivalent of some kind of a software program to protect us from bad memes? Well, not necessarily a software program. Maybe we could refer to it as an immune system. Our immune system actually acts like a biological firewall. There are immense parallels that can be drawn between biological immune systems, computer firewalls, and our systems for maintaining mimetic health. For instance, computers have a concept of a port blanket where you just block off all access to various ports and bad things just can't get in. In biology, it's our skin. Our skin is very tough and covered with all sorts of things that just won't let the bad bacteria get into the yummy cells. For memetics, we have limited number of ways that new ideas can get into our head and controls over how quickly those ideas can get in. I mean, you'll notice, for instance, that the whole concept of being a fast talker is equivalent to being a scam artist. And this is a description of our mimetic firewall. We can only process information so quickly and so our brains will immediately deflect information beyond that. But this means that if people can overwhelm our mimetic firewall, it prevents us from effectively processing everything that goes in and so bad things can slip through which is how fast-talking scam artists work. So you should trust the people that talk slowly? Not if you're watching Farscape. So you've suggested that this mimetic firewall acts sort of like the skin in preventing horrible bacteria from getting inside to the soft, juicy bits. If this is true for memes, then we have some sense of health. Yes. What is, what is mimetic health? Well, mimetic health has several qualities. One of them, for instance, is internal consistent. It should be difficult to believe two contradictory things. People manage to do it all the time, but that's a sign of poor mimetic health. If you believe two things that are in complete contradiction to each other, then you are mimetically unhealthy. You're an Aristotelian, aren't you? Yes. Another thing is consistency with the outside world. Correspondence is what the psychologists call that. Okay. A mimetically healthy human being should have strong correspondence with what's going on in the world. Obviously, if you think you can fly, this is a bad thing. If you think that standing on a table and singing your personal rendition of Stairway to Heaven while playing air guitar is good for your social health, this is a good meme. This is a healthy meme if it actually does improve your social health. It is a bad meme if you're in a board meeting, okay? So having memes in your head that allow you to operate effectively in the real world is mimetic health. Okay, so what are the threats to mimetic health? Well, the obvious one is that there are numerous people out there who want you to do things that are good for them, but not necessarily good for you. And we can go back to the concept of a suicide bomber. This is good for the clerics. This is not necessarily good for the person who becomes small, gooey bits. Well, what if they're right? And in fact, they do get to go to heaven and be waited on by Ori's and, uh, and have life in paradise, then it is good for them. I would consider that to be a reasonable statement if there were any evidence of such things, but being able to convince a person of something for which there is absolutely no evidence is something that indicates that the person doesn't have a very good mimetic firewall going. 
Also, anyone who will dismiss a concept for which there's strong evidence in favor of something that they already believe but have no evidence of should seriously examine their mimetic health. So the trick is to figure out a bunch of rules that you can establish in order to allow you to sort through whatever you have currently in your head and find the things that may be harmful to you, equivalent to an antivirus scanning your hard drive, and a set of rules that you can use to examine things coming in so that you can discard things that are harmful or bad for you or contradictory. So what what would be an example of a rule? Probably one of my favorites is the concept of complementary. Humans have a nasty habit of accepting complementary ideas without really thinking about them. You look good today. I do, don't I? People do that. They don't really actually stop to think as to whether or not it's true. If it's complimentary, they're just happy to accept that it's true. How would that be used as an attack vector? Well, for instance, let's say I want somebody to make a fool of themselves. I tell them that they're really good at singing. So they get up and they sing and they make a fool of themselves. This is something that has been harmful to you, but beneficial to me because your standing in society has just dropped and I may go home with your girlfriend. Okay. Uh, Obviously, this has gone to extremes where people have convinced whole populations that they are the most wonderful thing on the planet and they have every right to kill, maim, destroy, annihilate, whatever entire other population. I was afraid for a moment there you were going to destroy the entire concept of the karaoke machine. (laughs) So, So a meme would somehow use this complimentary approach to worm its way in and cause you to not think about the other things associated with it? Well, what you're talking about there is actually more behavior of a memeplex. A memeplex tends to use something that Susan Blackwell referred to as the altruism trick. Altruism trick can be thought of as a spoonful of sugar for the medicine. It can be thought of as the two-player scam. But essentially how it works is two or more memes travel together. One of them provides significant benefit to the person And it makes the person less resistant to the memes that aren't necessarily good for them. Religions are notorious for this, where they will take you in and treat you well and be very nice to you and then convince you that you should spend a whole lot of time standing on a very cold street corner handing out pamphlets or give all of your money to the church or whatever its particular set of bitterness happens to be. But they are very nice to you up front and they've convinced you that they are excellent, wonderful people and that if everyone else joined this church, that they too would be excellent, wonderful people. So you should convince everyone to join the church. All right. So when you talk about mimetic firewalls, I think about my computer and I think about a firewall and a threat detector. And all of a sudden on my screen pops up this box saying, this email contains a, a virus. What would be the signals that your mimetic firewall would give you to say this idea coming in has a potential harmful component? Well, one of our strongest and most natural mechanisms is cognitive dissonance. I've talked about this a lot before, but essentially it means that when you hear something, it throws a big red flag up and you go look at other things you already know and it makes you uncomfortable until you resolve it. But fundamentally, the cognitive dissonance is just the sign that says it needs to be examined more closely. It's not the sign that says it's a bad thing. Right. Uh, More sophisticated methods, for instance, logic exist that allow us to more formally examine something and figure out what's incorrect about it. There's also common sense, which is the way a lot of people function, that allows us to match a new concept against 
a body of things that they've already decided are true. Sort of Gerd Gigerenzer's simple heuristics that make us smart? Yeah. We can also use philosophy. We can borrow other people's smarts. We can talk to a psychiatrist to sort out information that comes in. We can use reputation. That's another huge one where we don't actually examine the information itself, but we try and figure out how reliable the source is. Because otherwise, all the memes that are already there that might be kicked out by the better idea are going to fight back and say, no, no, you don't want to do that. Well, they tend to do that anyway. A meme that gets into your brain very, very often encourages the concept that you shouldn't even examine other memes. You'll notice that this is one of the things that prevents us, for instance, from talking about sex and drugs to our children is that we have a meme that suggests our children shouldn't even know these things exist, and this prevents us from discussing it with them. What we're doing is we are attempting to prevent the memes of sex and drugs from getting into our children's heads before the memes that we currently have in our heads can get in there and build a proper blockade. Was that memetic engineering? The construction of specific memes that you inject into someone else's brain in order to control their memetic development? Probably, yeah. Uh, you might even call it sociological engineering or religious indoctrination, whichever happens to be your personal bent at the moment. All right, so I think we're out of stuff. everyone, and yes, we've finally managed to put out something new. I'm certain that this brings forth a number of questions from our listening audience, and I'd like to address them. No, we are not about to embark on producing a brand new series of intellectual icebergs. I'm sorry to say that these productions are not likely to become any more or less sporadic than they have been. This show was originally produced because Tiffany and I enjoy explaining things to people, and we figured that it would be a good idea to put those things in a more solid form where they can be referenced. This hasn't changed. We still intend on producing episodes from time to time, and as we produce those episodes, they'll be added to the repository. What has changed is that we have a lot more going on in our lives, so actually producing them and adding them to the repository has become more difficult. On the good side, numerous colleges and universities around the world are actually starting to reference our repository as good short introductions to the various topics we've addressed. As such, we'll be maintaining the website and the repository and adding things as we come up with them. And that pretty much does it for the formal part of it. Informal part of it, I hope y'all have been doing well. And I apologize for our inability to produce regular episodes. But in that vein, I'd like to turn on all of our listeners to the Technology Entertainment and Design Conference. You can visit them at www.ted.com, T-E-D.com. And this is some cool stuff. Anybody who enjoys intellectual icebergs will probably enjoy a significant portion of the content that they have available. As you may have noticed, this is episode 15.1. We generally have two segments and an interlude in between them, and as we create said things, we will add them to it and release it as point two, point three until we actually have a complete episode. But I didn't want to withhold this episode until everything was done. That does it for me today. Thanks for listening. Initiating shutdown sequence. Intellectual Icebergs is produced by Robert and Tiffany Raplin. If you enjoy our show, please vote for us on Podcast Alley and Digital Podcast. The music for the intro and credits is Speaking in Electronic Tongues by Synthetic Movement. The music for the main segment is Reverse Musicology by Synthetic Movements. The music for the closing comments is Pocket Orchestra Energy by Synthetic Movements. Please visit us at www.intellectualicebergs.org. Intellectual Icebergs is released under a Creative Commons license and is an Ankh Infinity production. Shut down